an extended strategy mailbag session, and a look around the AL Central with Jeff Zimmerman of Rotographs and Rotowire. Beat the Shift, coming up next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. A little bit of up and down uh, week for me, personally. Um, some good stuff, some bad stuff, but to tell you about the good stuff, got to talk about softball here. Uh, my, my Tuesday team won the championship. Uh, we had to win back-to-back games in the same day, semis and championship. I pitched a shutout the first game, only gave up three runs, all unearned in the second game, and we cruised to it. And the next day, my Wednesday league semifinals, we were down 8-4 to four in the last inning. We played seven in that. And with one out, nobody on, we scored four runs to tie it. We then go all the way to the ninth inning and score on a, a missed play in center field with two outs and a runner on third. And we won. We're on to the championship. So really good softball week for me. Just had to say it. Uh, so excited about it. What's going on with you, Ruben? Um, obviously not as exciting as that. Um, I, you mentioned a misplay center field. I was watching the Jacob deGrom rehab start. And the only reason why one run scored against him was because of a misplay in center field by Terrence Gore, if you could believe that. And he looked very good. Not Terrence Gore, Jacob deGrom. He looked very good. And who was the fellow that was catching deGrom? That's Francisco Alvarez, who actually caught him at another rehab start earlier this year. So, I mean, I think he may become his personal catcher. You never know. <laughs> you never know. I don't know if they're going to bring him up this year. You never know. Uh, but he's in the the near future for the Mets, absolutely. Well, we've got a fantastic show today. Um, uh, our guest on the show is one of the best fantasy players out there. Uh, wins expert leagues galore. Wins money leagues. Uh, has written the book called The Process. Uh, with Tanner Bell. I'm talking about Jeff Zimmerman. He writes for Rotowire, for Fangraphs, Baseball HQ. Uh, you, you name it, he's all over the place. Welcome to the show. Jeff Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm just um, kind of um, grinding through the season, and um, it's one of those times it's like, oh, it's going to be bad, but we've got a short break coming here. It's just like kind of get our lineup set with the teams that we got for next week, and then it's kind of time to take a break for a bit. I guess we'll have to do fab in some leagues on Sunday, but I actually kind of started looking into that, and it's just like, you don't know really what's going to happen in a few days, so it's going to be kind of a tough, like, make sure you've got probably everything covered type of thing instead of taking chances type of thing. Well, Jeff's a busy guy as he uh, uh, just rocking every single league. You're currently leading in the overall in TGFBI. Uh, that's not easy to do. There's some 400, almost 500 participants, and you're also beating us in labor. Um, we're in third place, but you're 30 points ahead of us, and we were just talking before the show, just an incredible, incredible year that you're having. Uh, again, uh, just uh, so uh, uh, fantastic. Kudos to you, Jeff. Thanks. It's Like I said, some, some leagues really hit, and um, it's kind of nice to have a few of them, especially in the online championship hit. And I have some duds out there, too. We won't talk about my Tout Wars yeah. game right now. 
Uh, good stuff. Um, so we're going to do the show a little bit out of order today. We have some really good, instead of our strategy section, we're going to do all mailbag because a lot of the stuff really is strategy. So we're going to start with a couple good questions via, well, here's a, a question from Robert Mershak, who uh, I know partners with our buddy uh, Ian Khan in a bunch of leagues. They're doing well in the main event. Uh, they're neck and neck in, uh, in uh, GDD with me and Derek Carty. He asks as following. Which stats and reasoning or reasoning do you use to determine whether or not to use a pitcher in a particular week in weekly leagues? Really general question asking what stats do you use to determine what, what you should do? Jeff, well, what do you do to determine every single week who you're playing, who you're picking up and all that? Um, I usually start with Rasball. Like they have he Rudy Gamble keeps track of the starts and everything. Who's got the two starts? He goes through all the platoons. The one thing that he does better than I do is he definitely, like, he takes into account the opposing pitcher. A lot of times I might be like, you know, I might have, I'm just going to make some guys like Ross Stripling's facing Miami. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to run him against Miami, you know, as a weak lineup. But then it's like, you'll notice it's like, why is he, like, his projections are low and everything? It's like he's facing Alcantara. And it's like, oh, you know, he's got a low chance for the win then just based on that opposing thing. So it kind of gives me a nice starting spot. Um, another one I use, I'll look at is um, Todd Zola at Rotowire. He has one. And the cool thing he now does is like the middle reliever cutoff. It's like you can just go find a middle reliever that's probably going to outperform your starters. Um, so then I just try to see if I have enough starters above kind of those lines that have, are they going to have me positive production at Rasball or, you know, above the middle reliever at Zola? And then um, just kind of um, hope I have enough of those pitchers, or if not, just go find some middle relievers. There's some guys I might change, like, the projections on that I think are a little bit better. Um, I've kind of liked Braxton Garrett. I think his projections are a little bit behind what he's doing. I like Adrian Sampson. His projections, I think, are behind. So I've been kind of starting them. But overall, it's like they kind of, like I said, it, it gives me a good – starting point and then a lot of times i just make little changes from there yeah well as far as the, the the middle relievers it obviously depends on the size of your league if you're in a shallower league you're not going to be using the middle relievers there'll be ample starters that will be better uh if you're in a, a deeper league there will be more relievers um robert mershak i think is not asking about picking up off the waiver wire he's asking more about you have the t players on your team probably in a little bit deeper league and do you pitch them or not right you could sit him you could play a middle reliever or not ruvain what do you use to do to uh determine well, basically, if I have one of the top 40 or 50 starting pitchers in baseball, I'm going to play them no matter what. I don't care about the matchup. You're going to get the stats. When it comes to pitchers 50 to 75, I'm going to look at matchups. I'm going to look at how they've been pitching recently and if they have a chance for wins, if they're two-star, you know, ranked the two-star pitchers ahead of the single-star pitchers just because you get more strikeouts. And for the borderline pitchers, I'd probably just look at how they're doing. What's their First of all, how they've done the last three to five starts. Um, are their walks, I look at their walk rates, see if their walk rate is up or down recently to see if their control is good because I don't want to ruin my ERA or whip with these borderline pitchers. I want to know about, a little bit about the pedigree of the pitcher. If the, if the pitcher is more of a veteran pitcher, I may, may have a little more tendency to play him over a rookie because you don't know what you're going to get with a rookie. And also, the, who they're playing. I mean, I mentioned matchups. The matchups is a, is a big key. If you have a pitcher, like I had a pitcher, I had Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett, you'd start no matter what, basically, in any league. But he was playing He's playing the Braves this week. I was a little nervous about that start because being a Met fan, you know, you get nervous just because you're a Met fan. And you think he's going to blow up and everything like that. 
I, I still pitch him because he's still part of that top tier and that, that, I, that I'm willing to play no matter what. But when it comes down to a lower pitcher, like let's say you have a John Gray, a lower a lower tier. He's been pitching a lot better recently. And what did he do last, last night or the night before? He pitched amazing. So he's a guy that you want there for strikeouts. You like the, you, and if you like the matchup, I think you got to play it. Yeah, I mean all the above for me. Uh, there's the priority. There's a priority list, right? Um, obviously, uh, you know the matchup is a huge key. If they're playing the Dodgers, they've got to be above a certain line in the top X, right? If they're playing the uh, you know the Rockies away, right at, at Coors Field, they've got to be above a certain line. Uh, it really all depends on on the matchups and and ranking them. Uh, other factors and stats in terms of using strikeouts are important. I'm looking for guys who don't blow up, right? I I, I don't want to play my sixth, seventh best starter if I think there's a chance for a blow up. So if I'm looking at pitchers who constantly give up home runs, pitchers who walk the farm, uh, I'm looking at K minus BB is a good stat to just quickly look at. Um, I'm looking at their strikeout potential. John Gray, I like pitching. I'm going to get strikeouts out of it, right? Um, I'm looking for past few couple of outings to see if there's a little bit of a track record, uh, things like that. Uh, but it, it's more matchups than anything else. And uh, for pitchers that don't meet the cut, I'm throwing in a middle reliever. Um, anything to add to that, uh, Jeff? Yeah, I guess the one thing I was I might not have explained is when I'm doing fab, I'm setting my pitching lineup for the week. Before fab runs... I have who I want to have as my rotation. So the deal is, is it's like I might have it where I'm missing two guys. Like I don't want to throw um, a couple. I have a bunch of my guys might be going to Colorado and it's like, okay, I, I just can't do this. So that's where it's like, I know, like I said, when I'm doing fab is when I'm setting my pitching staff. Usually I try to get 10 because usually for some reason, some guy gets hurt. Like, you have to, like, well, this is going to be the one if it doesn't. But that's where it's, like, I'm kind of looking at that fab thing, trying to understand, like, this is going to be my staff for this week, try to win this week, and then I'll um, put – I'll know who I'm putting in that time. That's where it's, like, oh, I'll put in these guys I think are good enough, and then if it's not, it's middle relievers. I'll There's always a ton of them. I'll get them for free agency, and I'll just stick them in my lineups then. Yeah, 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 no, that's a good point. And I guess when when I said we're talking about lineups, not waiver wire, the truth is that it's all connected. And I do the same thing as you. You know, you see on who on your team is is worth playing. Uh, if there's a couple of guys in the waiver wire that are worth, you put in bids. If you don't get them, then you throw in the middle relievers. Um, since you mentioned Rotowire and Zola's tool, uh, I'll say that uh, I look at uh, Derek Cardi's the bat. Uh, and there's ratings uh, for every single uh, week, and you can tell whether they're above a certain line or not, and if they are not, then, you know, don't pitch them. Throw a middle reliever or pick up somebody else who's on the waiver wire who is above that level. Um, here's another question from Robert Mershak, uh, and I talk about this a lot on, on our show here with in terms of risk. He asks, how do you quantify risk when you're behind in the standings and trying to catch up? You want to increase your risk by, by how much and at what cost can you give a couple of examples? And the general feeling here is what I say, if, if you're in first place, you're in second place, you're not looking for a risky player. And we can define risk or downside or whatever it is, however you like, uh, but you're looking for expected production. Uh, I'd rather, instead of taking a $10 player who's risky, 
I'd rather take a $7 player who's more certain. I'll give up $3 worth of, of expected value for the more um, consistent, more expected play because I'm ahead. I just need the production. If the reverse is true, if you're down on the bottom and you need to jump, I, I, I'll give up. I, I, I don't need expected production. I need to get somebody who can possibly jump up. Um, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Jeff, in terms of risk? If you are behind in the standings, how do you change your team and at what cost to increase the risk on your team so that there's more upside potential? Um, it really depends if it's hitting or pitching. The problem with hitting is, like, you can always just kind of go for pure volume, but a lot of times you'll hurt your batting average, which is just one category. So a lot of times it's just like those other four just kind of outweigh the batting average if you already don't have it. But if you've got some batting average um, cushion in some way, or you can't really, you know, someone can't catch you, you can just start running out the Joey Gallows. I know I've seen in a few leagues Joey Gallows come to my waiver wire, and I know in some it's like, oh, I'm interested. I could use the power type of player. Or in other leagues it's like, no, it just has to stay away. With pitching, if you're behind in everything, you have to pick a lane. Um, if you're behind, like I said, if 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 it's straight categories across the board, and you're in the bottom third or whatever, you kind of have to be like, am I going to go for volume, and just kind of know my ratios are going to stay down here, or do I go for the good ratios and probably try to go for saves and move up that way? But I, if you try to do all of it at the bottom, I, I really find I found out that you just nothing ever gets achieved. Like I said, it's kind of pick a lane with the pitching if you're just hurting, and um, usually it's like, well, you know, I've got. Yeah, it all depends. Like I know in one league, I'm just going to try to go for volume, and um, I've got some closers, but they're bad, so it's like I know the ratios aren't going to help me. So it's just like I'm just going to hope wins, strikeouts, and saves. And another one, it's just like I'm just going to try to keep the ratios low, make sure I eat the eat the or meet the um, innings minimum, and um, just hope to bring those up. So, but if yeah, if I try to do both of them, it's just I'll, I'll I'll probably end up in last place. Yeah, and and we do pretty much the same thing. You make the determination to the whole point is to maximize your points. That's uh, a good point. Ruben, uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think you also have to um, be a little bit more aggressive on the waiver wire. If you think you have one guy that can make a difference, I know a lot of guys out there on the waiver wire can't make that big of a difference at this point, but if you think you, a player can make a difference, then you have to overspend. If you're in a trading league, I think your offers have to be a little bit more aggressive as well. Just try to get, you know, to make some change. If you're in the bottom third of the league, this is the time when you have to make the move because if you're going to try to make a move, let's say mid-August, late August, you're not going to make it. So this is the time really you have to make the move. And to what Jeff mentioned, I think volume for pitching is probably the way to go because volume will get you strikeouts it may not destroy it may it may hurt your ERA and whip but if you're in the bottom third your ERA and whip are probably shot by this point already anyway so you want to get a lot of strikeouts you're giving yourself more chance for wins and lo and behold every once in a while these two-star pitchers who normally kill your ERA and whip will have a good start and you may not kill your ERA and whip so the, so I think you have to if you're in the bottom third you got to just keep pushing and keep pushing and try to be as aggressive as possible because especially in a redraft league you you have nothing to lose. So I'll give you a few examples of adding risk to your team. 
uh, taking on more prospects. Prospects generally don't pan out expectation, but very infrequently, but it happens. They all of a sudden provide a huge boost, sometimes in the stolen base category, stuff like that, adding a prospect. You mentioned Joey Gallo. That's a fantastic thing. People who have completely underachieved, um, you never know. He's We know he's 40 home run capable. Maybe he turns it on. It's a risk, but that's what you need at the bottom. You want to take more guys like Joey Gallo, uh, things like that. Um, I always say that you know if you're up on top, you want to trade your superstar for two good players. You want to do the opposite. You It's harder to do the other way because everyone wants the one superstar, but in general, you do want to trade two guys for one. You want to even... I, you want to take on a $25 player and give up two $15 players. You'll lose the $5 of expected value. That's fine. But then you'll jump. You'll get a player who could potentially, you know, go even higher. Um, you know, in terms of actual risk quantities, we don't really have great ways to quantify risk and all that uh, or downside, as Jeff likes to say. Um, I, I do have the risk metrics with ATC. Right now they're only preseason stuff, but, you know, as I think as the fantasy community, and you can tell me if you think this is true, Jeff, I think the next frontier of fantasy baseball is analyzing risk because we know there's always – all the projections are the expected value. Here's the expectation. But along with that, and if you're playing the stock market, you know you want to know how risky a portfolio is. I think that that's the next step into analyzing fantasy is to come up with good ways to quantify the risk and knowing how to aggregate a portfolio portfolio subject to that. You think you think that that that's one of the next things that we're going to be tackling? Um, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> the kind of the hardest thing right now is just tackling is the, how MLB's changing the game. It's such a you know the ball and relievers and everything else it's like people just haven't been able to do that or you have haven't had just a stable off season like it we'll see if if it'll happen but it's been um i think fred zinke brought it up it's like oh we've had you know 2020 which was a complete mess in 2021 where we didn't have all these free agent signings until right to the end and the late start to the season and it's just like it might be nice to have just a regular off season after you know semi-regular season just to kind of Put us back in there. Um, as for like the risk, the one thing I'll say with like the volume play, just to watch out, is from just historical like streaming pitchers. That last month, it seems like a lot of people might move to that, and it's a lot tougher. Like if you want to start streaming, you might need to start doing it now or at the latest next month because there at the end, it's just your options just become worse and worse because people are just like they're blown up and they're just going for it. So if you make that move to start streaming, you need to maybe make it as soon as possible here. But this year is also going to be a little bit different because of the fact that we're not having the expanded roster. So pitchers may go a little bit deeper into games as opposed to previous Septembers, and you're not going to have as many pitching changes. So the the pitchers are going to get more innings than normal and than regular season because of the different um, size of the roster. But I I, I agree with Jeff 100%. You have to do it now because now's the time to be, quote-unquote, desperate and push it. Carl asks, uh, in rotisserie at midseason, how many games, I think you mean how many points, behind first place can you be and still real, still realistically expect to have a chance to win it. We're talking like, uh, um, I mean, I guess you have to, you know, obviously if you're 
10 points out versus 20 points out, there's always a probability associated. But uh, what do you think is realistic, uh, Jeff, to come back right now? Um, anywhere. As long as you have some good players, like if they're just been underperforming, or if you have someone, I would say like Jose Barrios, like he's been burying you. Um, just, it's been horrible, but you have to have some talent. But I just went and looked at my main event. Um, one team at the top lost 10 points, and someone down the bottom gained nine and a half. So you could gain 20 points last week in the standings. So that's the one thing I look at is just how much the league chances are still moving, kind of if you still think you have a chance. But if there's, I mean, there's still high movement going on in the league, like at that, keep it in. There was a league I about gave up last year. I was like, well, it's near the end. It was a second chance league. And I literally had a plus nine and the guy in first place did a minus nine. And we were within three points then. So I think like stuff like that can happen. I'm um, just Look at the league, go to the last week, look at the biggest gainers and losers, and that's how much of movement you should, you know, is like the chance you have in that league. Yeah, it also depends how many teams are between you and the top. That that's that actually matters a lot more, I think. Um, if you're within 25 points in a 12-team league, you still have a chance right now. Uh, you should always fight to the end no matter what, by the way. Ruben? And also, besides that, um, you have to see how many points you're behind and how many points ab- uh, the, the teams above you are apart from you in certain categories. Because you, you t- some, some leagues, you can take a, a four-point swing just on gaining on RBIs and home runs if you pass one person in the, in, in this, in the category. So I think really it's f- between 15 and 20 points is realistic. It is possible to do more than that because I know me and you, are we are, on, we are in a league, a home league, where I think we were in the th- uh, seventh place out of 10. And we ended up coming in third place. We finished in the money. And that was after we, quote-unquote, gave up. And we, quote-unquote, started picking up possible keepers for the next next year. So anything is possible. But the farther away you are and the more teams that you have to leapfrog to get there it makes it more much more harder. Yeah. We'll do one more question. Uh, Murad asks, should Julio owners, I'm assuming Julio Rodriguez, sell? should they sell high in head-to-head redraft leagues? I guess you can also ask that in Roto Leagues as well. If one was to sell, should you be targeting top 20 hitters? Um, I mean, Julio Rodriguez looks really good. The, in Roto, I don't know how you're going to sell high. He's he's taking a lot of your uh, – he, he's providing a lot of your stolen base content. It's kind of hard to sell high. I mean, what, what, what you'd have to have some kind of massive lead in stolen bases. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's really he, – Putting up so much production in in that, plus he's giving you the power, he's giving you everything. Head to head leagues probably a little bit easier, but I I'm not sure I would I would I would even sell high. Like what 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 are you trying to accomplish by by doing that in a redraft league? Uh, what about you, Jeff? Um, I've had a similar trade on the board, and it's just straight up off a of need. That that's the biggest thing here is that person needs pitching, and I need hitting, and um, that's. That's where the trade is. It's it's all going to be based off need. And the deal is with Julio, if you put him up there, like I said, um, on ours, we're looking at two first-rounders getting traded. So, um, but like with him, like you can ask for McClanahan. Like if that's what you want, you think that that's the right move that'll help your team, I could see a move like that. But um, right. if, if you're just kind of trading for him for... Oh, I was trying to think. Trey Turner, like, what are you really trying to accomplish there? I mean, right. 
like, but I, I think if you're going after it, I can even see going after like, if you need saves or something, just going after Hater and then maybe pick up another bat also. Like that's probably not enough, but if that's what you really need is saves and someone's got a huge lead, go get what you need. Julio can get you what you need. And you, and you can get a major, major change or a player that can make that um, huge change to, in the standings. Yeah, I guess it's really just need in terms of uh, you're not going to be selling for somebody similar. You're just going to be selling for a different category that you might need. Um, I mean, he's been a top 10 player in Roto uh, to date. Um, would you, Jeff, would you consider him to be a top 20 player going forward for the rest of the season? I think so. I don't think – it doesn't seem like he's – going to change um he's also one like i haven't dived in i don't have him and um i just don't think you're gonna sit him so i haven't like i said i haven't dived in to see what's going on to see if he's adjusted or if the league adjusted back it's just something i'll do in the off season if i'll look to see if they've like thrown in more fastballs and he was fine there or if he, they went to heavy breaking balls and he was fine there or if you know they just didn't quit throwing in the zone how he how he adjusted um he seems to be you know still Hitting fine, so just on the surface, I think um, he's going to be, God, I don't know. I think he's going to be at the end of the second round, that turn in like a 15-teamer. He could probably get pushed up to probably like someone like um, where Kyle Tucker was going this last year, I think, at least that far. Yeah. I mean, he gives you enough in each category uh, that uh, I can't see his value going much lower. You, you know, you can have it a slump. Maybe he's overperforming a little bit, but he just provides a lot of production, especially steals. Young guys do steal. Yeah, and the, the question is, why would you trade him to begin with? He, he gives you almost – he's giving you uh, points in almost every single category. You'd have to think that the only reason why you're trading him is because you think he's going to regress. There's nothing really showing that he's going to regress. I mean, unless you think that, you know, the league will catch up to him or he'll have a, a quote-unquote home run derby slump after the home run derby, but he's not really – you know, he, I mean, he has, he has – how many stolen bases do he have already? He has 27 – he has – sorry, he has 21 stolen bases already. And 15 home runs, 21 stolen bases, batting 270. For who, which hitter are you going to trade him for? If you're not trading for a hitter, then you're trading for a pitcher, and then you have to be careful who you're trading him to in a redraft league. Because if you're trading to a team that's very good in pitching but trying to catch you in the hitting, it may be counteractive, if, uh, counterproductive if, if you're going to trade him. Yeah, he's on pace for about 30 40, and he had not a fantastic first couple of weeks. So, I mean, this is just uh, it, it is a very unique profile. Um, it's really hard to get away from that. Um, this uh, this episode is also our AL Central episode. We've been going around the majors by division. So uh, Jeff here is a Royals fan and uh, help us uh, tackle the AL Central. And we'll start with his team, the Royals. First question to you, Jeff. Andrew Benintendi. What are your thoughts on him for uh, what he's done so far and for the rest of the season? I mean, he's uh, he, he just got a couple of homers, like, Two uh, and a, a couple of stolen bases. Um, he's his homer to fly ball rate three percent, barrel rate four percent, ground ball rate almost fifty. Where his career is forty percent. Looks like he's not really doing well. Although his batting average is phenomenal, probably partly due to his strikeout rate of fourteen percent, which is fantastic. What what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, his ISO's under one hundred. He's a one category player. Um, right now, I mean, actually, actually, he would be three depending on where he's hitting. Um, the Royals have been leading him off, so his runs are hitting second. So his runs and runs and RBIs are completely out of whack, but he got a combined 74 right now. 
he'd probably be doing better in a better lineup. But if he goes to a better one, he might get buried at the bottom. Um, so I think he's he's gonna be a tough guy to sit, but he's also a guy I could see where a team starts getting here toward the end and they're like, he's giving me no power, no speed. I'm behind. I've got to go make that up. He's I'm just gonna bank the average he's already given me and he's gonna end up on the wire. I, I could see where he'd end up just getting dropped. And it's not because he's playing bad, it's just the um needs of the you know, the team construction is just not right with him. I think people were expecting a little bit more steals out of him and power, just looking at what he did last year. Yeah. I agree exactly. I think that's the story, and you're going to see a lot of teams not play him. I mean, Ruben and I have a bunch of shares of him, and we're already starting to sit him a couple of weeks because just getting no—he's getting a zero in 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 two categories, actually three categories if you think about it. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ruben? Well, his K rate is down for, for his career. His launch angle rate is down, which is why it's not—you know—it's not showing the quote-unquote power of the home runs, the fly balls. And his one batting average is great. And then what's the story if he gets traded? I mean, if he gets traded, well, first of all, the Yankees are already questioning whether they even want him. And that he would be good in that lineup. He'd be great in that lineup. He'd score a lot of runs. Um, but well, he's he's not vaccinated. And that reason alone, the Yankees are thinking of not getting him because they have so many games down the stretch with Toronto. And they may end up play, have to play Toronto in the playoffs. So so with him, it's a question is where is he going to go? If he goes, if he gets traded, let's say, to the Dodgers, that's great for him. And, and and even if he hits for a high, only for a high average going into that and he gets traded for the Dodgers, he's a guy you can't drop just because of the change of scenery. I think getting out of Kansas City would be good, but I do think that this Kansas City lineup will get better over time. Do, do you think, Jeff, that this hurts players' trade value, um, especially to the AL East? Because if you're going to the AL East and you're not vaccinated, um, you know, you, you're not going to be able to play Toronto games. Is this a big problem, you think? We're going to find out, but I think so. Um, I think here in Kansas City, it's just like so much of a shock. And um, like we're still kind of digesting it. Because there's even like three of the coaches couldn't even make it. So today, um, found that out on top of it. Well, like I said, I I think the deal is, is he's could go to any team, playoff team, and would help them at least as a bench bat. Like I said, he's better than a lot of teams are running out there as their backup or their you know their fourth outfielder working in their rotation. So I think he could definitely help. The deal is is like if he does that, he just loses all his value if he's only playing half the time, even two thirds of the time. He's not providing anything. So. I think um, depending on where he goes, he could just be effectively fantasy useless um, at the trade deadline. So I think if, I mean, if you want to, if you think you can trade him, I think maybe do it now. But I, I think you would get so little because people would be thinking the same thing. It's just hope he ends up in the right situation where he maintains his value or just doesn't even get traded. Jeff, we have uh, Ben Intendi in labor. Would you like to trade to uh, trade with us for him? Oh God, probably not. Actually, my outfit. Field is not not horrible right now. You can also play him in your utility slot if you really want to. Also, so you know, we're trying to get rid of him. I've got so many first basemen. Like that utility slot is the one that's like I don't know who I'm always sitting every week with. That it kind of helped that that Vado was um, hurt this week to at least to start. So I didn't know how long it was going to be till he got back. But um, I ran. I guess I ran another outfielder even there this week. But um, no, I'm um. 
No, probably no. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm trying to look to see if if, if, the, if, the, if there's an upgrade. Maybe a birdie's done. Um, that might be an issue, but um, that would be about it, probably. Yeah. If you are in a league uh, with us, please uh, disregard this entire podcast. Uh, anyways, uh, took Salvador Perez. Uh, Ruben, why don't you start with the injury update and timetable for him coming back? Because he's obviously, uh, I mean, we're talking a second, third round player for, for a catcher, which is crazy. Sure. Well, he has the injury with his with his uh, with his hand and everything. And he has surgically repaired left thumb. He was actually spotted doing some on field work this past Sunday before the game. But uh, and and he was catching with a glove on his hand, which is a good sign. But he had the he had the surgery done June twenty fourth, and he's still expected to miss about two months. So if you're going to get anything out of him, you may get a month, maybe a month and a half, if he's a quote unquote quick healer. Um, so I mean, if you have him on your team and it's a two two catcher league, I think you have to keep him on your bench because he's a lot better for one month than he would be for any of the any of the replacements that are on the waiver wire. But otherwise, if you need the roster spot, you could probably drop him because I don't know if anyone else is going to pick him up just yet. Soon they may because when it gets closer to let's say a month from now, hundred percent people will be picking up because they'll start hearing about the rehab assignment and everything like that. But right now, when it's quiet and you don't hear anything about a rehab assignment and you think you can get a steal and grab him off the waiver wire and just and, and if you have room on your bench then go ahead do it yeah i mean jeff if uh let's not talk about il leagues or uh i'm sorry if, if we're talking about il leagues you can just disregard this but if we're talking about non-il or maybe limited il and you know there's a crunch there what kind of format what kind of roster size would you be cutting salvador perez obviously if you're behind and you need points and you're in eighth place you should hold on to him because, you know, you have nothing to do. But is there a scenario somewhere that you're just going to say, well, I got to cut Salvador Perez? Somebody obviously did. Uh, we talked last week on our, on the show. We picked up Salvador Perez. Somebody dropped him in uh, an NFBC league. Uh, and we picked him up. We've got crappy catchers and figure – and we have not a lot of injuries in the team. So I'd rather ride him on the bench for, you know, for a month and play him afterwards – no smoke for us. What, what what kind of scenario would you make? Would you have to drop him if uh, you didn't have IL? Um, there's probably several. Um, I wouldn't have a. I don't have a problem dropping anyone. I'm probably over like, um, the extreme end of that and just letting anyone go because, like I said, it's sometimes it's just been tough. The one issue right now is there is a lot of players I like that are coming back here in like. The next week, or they're all aiming to come back after the All-Star game. So I don't... There's a chance where I could add someone that could help my team full-time, and I don't know if I have the roster spot. The one thing I might do is add them, and if I have him, float him out there with a chance of, like, maybe I'll get him back and see what's going to happen, you know, with this other player. Like, oh, I want to add Mitch Hanniger before he comes off the IL here. And I just can't have all these guys on the IL on my team. Is I just put out Perez and um, see what it is, and you see if you can make him back. I think in a twelve-team league, I think it's a little bit easier to drop him. I think you can get okay production and or kind of stream um, catchers. You can always get the Rockies catchers every other week, and maybe hit on Eric House and just House House. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, I don't um, know either. It's Hase Hase. Yeah, maybe it's Hase. And um, just 
hope you have some. If you are, and kind of, if you have one good, decent catcher, and then you just kind of stream that other one, I wouldn't have a problem. And the 15, it might be a little bit harder, but it kind of depends on, you know, who's available out there and what help, helps your team. And, and that assumes Perez comes back and he's productive. Like, that's kind of an assumption that has to be, or what's left of the Royals team at that point. Can he, you know, is he actually going to have the runs and RBIs and everything? So I kind of have my doubts with his, um, since he was hurt, came back way too early, and he's doing this again. I'm kind of wondering if there's just no chance of getting what you got the previous season, and he's just just going to be a guy for this year. I think he really needs to get healthy, and he had struggled whenever he was injured before with that Tommy John where he needed almost two years. Like he had kind of had the issue, and then it's just finally like got so bad he just had to have the surgery. So I'm kind of like I just don't think he's going to come back a hundred percent. So that's why I'm kind of just staying away. I'm I saw him on one of my waiver wires and didn't even add him this last week. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, point well taken there. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, people leaving the Royals. So uh, who do you think is going to be going of fantasy significance? Um, throughout Zach Greinke, is that a trade uh, chip for them? We talked about Benintendi. Who, who else do you think of fantasy significance will be headed elsewhere? Um, it'll be interesting. I don't know. This whole COVID bit has kind of um, had some people move down. Um, I think they really like Whit Merrifield, and then he kind of threw the whole team underneath the bus. Even Dayton Moore was a little bit mad about that, so they may trade him off. And just kind of restart new with a bunch of players. We'll have to see. Like I said, I think there's going to be some fallout that's not even known. I think the one place you might be a little bit worried about is the bullpen. But I think Dayton Moore always likes a good bullpen. So I don't know if Barlow's going to move. I keep, I see him on a ton of industry trade lists. But if you go to the people, if you look at trade lists of like non-fantasy He's not on any. Like, MLB trade rumors isn't fantasy-related. Barlow's, like, bare, like I don't even know if he's in their top 50 trade candidates. So I think he's actually kind of safe. If someone th- is a little bit worried, he might be someone that you want to add. But um, the team just doesn't have a good bullpen, and they've always want a good bullpen. So I don't think Barlow's going anywhere. I don't know if Grinky is either. I don't know which team kind of needs a fifth starter that just goes out and throws six innings and gives up three to four like a guaranteed three to four runs every start. Like that's kind of where Grinky is right now. Um, maybe some, t- like I said, Tyler Anderson's kind of already that for the Dodgers. Maybe some team will want that, you know, like they've got enough of a lead and then, you know, they're just like, Oh, we'll throw this guy out there and we can probably win half his games. Um, but I don't know what team that is right now. What, what about, a, what about a Michael, Michael Taylor, who still has another year in his contract and he's a defensive center fielder. Teams are always looking for the defensive center fielder. Um, what do you think about him getting traded? Um, well, he's also got the COVID issue, but, um, not having the shot. There's a chance. I think he's also one that's like, it's going to lose all his value. Like, I think he's going to end up being, a bench bat for whoever, whoever it is. He's not going to hit enough. Like, you do not want him probably in your lineup in the playoffs unless someone gets hurt. So, like, if, right. if, if he gets moved, I think he's, like I said, his fantasy value is done for. Unless some team, like I said, short of an injury, like someone just like, okay, we have to add him now just to kind of stay competitive. Um, besides that, I just, I, I think he's going to move to, and his value is going to drop. Right. 
All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Twins. Let's start with Luis Arias. And, um, you know, before the season started, we were very on him. Uh, I mean, it's not a very uh, tough projection to see that this guy is a batting uh, batting champion potential guy. Um, if you were to trade Luis Arias in fantasy, who is somebody you'd want to target or maybe who's somebody that's comparable to them, Jeff? <sighs> It's really, I think we'd already talked about this before, but you just have to go look to see, like, if you have him, hopefully you're ahead in average, and what do you need? And look for that other team that needs average that doesn't hurt, you know, that isn't going to come back to hurt you. But probably in the league, you're only going to look at one or two teams. Is like someone that really needs a rise. They're able to give you a player that you need, and those players are similar in value. It's like, there might be 20 players that have similar value, but there might only be one on the team that you're going to trade with, maybe two. So, um, like I said, probably with him, you're going to want someone completely different, like a power-only bat, maybe with some speed. I was thinking like maybe Andrew McCutcheon, but McCutcheon might be too valuable. But I think that that's all you're going to be doing is just kind of trading batting average and playing time, which the playing time may disappear with Snow coming back to for someone with power so it's really tough to like pinpoint someone because every league is that same way but i think it's going to be some kind of power bat with a bat and batting average and no steals yeah you're probably in a trade trading for some different category but i'll throw it to ruben this way uh who would you rather have and uh let you know put these guys in order luis arias rest of season jeff mcneil or how about jose iglesias I think it's it would go Jeff McNeil just because he's in a um, you know a much better lineup and I'm being a I'm being a Met fan aside I, I think he has a lot of value and he hasn't even tapped really his power aspect at this point um, and I think that Arias is slated above Jose Iglesias yes Iglesias right now is in Colorado that's great but um, Arias can occasionally steal a base. He can occasionally hit a home run. Um, while in Jose Iglesias, he's really just a, real, a fill-in when you really desperately need it. Um, and I don't see any major value. He should be on the waiver wire, and he usually is in, in a lot of leagues. He is in the waiver wire, especially I think in our NFBC league, he's on the waiver wire. I just don't have interest in that guy, especially if you if you have Arias. There's no reason for you to pick up a player like Jose Iglesias because you're because it's it's basically redundant. Because the player is redundant. That's something you have to look for. If if you if you have both Arias and you have Benintendi, those two types of players, you don't need one of them. You have to trade one of them. You have to get rid of them because it's it's a redundancy at this point, and you need to get more um more variety in your lineup. Do you agree with that order? Uh, I, I might want prefer uh, Arias above uh, McNeil. What, what do you think, Jeff? Is that the oh, right it, order? It's easily, yeah, it's easily McNeil for me. Um, okay. I like the outfield. I, Arias doesn't have outfield. Um, that's always like if I can get a full timer there from another position, I think that's good. Um, the deal with Iglesias is, I still think Colorado's doing the away and home bit like for a while, so just always check to see if it's on the road and if you need a middle infielder, Iglesias can always be shoved in there as a you know sixth or seventh option. Like he's if you have to have someone, Andy's at home, he's a fine option, but you have to like the next week drop him. But don't be afraid to put him in, just ride him for the week and um, move on. Right. Um, Miguel Sano, uh, let's start with the injury and time, update and timetable, Ruvain. Uh, what is his status? 
So, yes, Miguel Sano is on the I.O. He is following a knee injury and surgery. He's currently playing rehab games with the Twins AAA affiliate. Um, it's not clear how much time he'll need there, and it's also not clear what his role is going to be when he comes back because where is he going to play? You have Gio Rochelle already at third. Um, you have Alex Kirilov, who's playing first. You have Arias, who's in there also, who's who's hitting well. And what does Sano give you? Sano is like the guy you'd want to trade if you have Arias. He's the guy you'd want to trade for for your team because Sano doesn't give you batting average, but he gives you power. It's like you're you. It's like they're playing fantasy baseball, quote unquote, where you can play either Arias the batting average or you can play play the power guy with Sano. But I think Sano will be back. It, just like Jeff said, a lot of people are going to be coming back right after the All-Star break. It may not be the first weekend after, but he may be back right after just because there are less um, uh, rehab games available during the the, uh, the All-Star week. But I think he'll be back the following week, and I, I don't know how they're going to manage it. And, I mean, it's I guess it's a good problem for Minnesota to have. I mean, they're in first place already, so I guess this is a good problem. But it's like it's like the, the guy, the manager, the fantasy uh, league manager, because who do you play, the batting average or the power? Yeah, Jeff, who do you think is going to lose time with Sano? I'm going to say that Gary Sanchez would lose some at-bats. I think that uh, he was DHing sometimes when he wasn't catching. I think that would probably go away if when Sano gets back. Anybody else who, who's going to lose time? Um, I think I think it was whoever is playing first base. There was an article. I either know it's Athletic or MLB. It's pretty much where I get all my sources from. They basically said they're going to throw him out there full-time and see if he can play. And if not, then he's not. It doesn't sound like they're going to halfway it with him. So it's going to suck. I think that there's going to be like some Kirilov owners that might be mad, Arise owners that might be mad. But they're like, if he's healthy and he can... They were talking about him, you know, being 40, 50 home run power. Like, that's what we need in our lineup, and we're going to see if that's what we've got. So... um. It may fail after two weeks, and he's, you know, on the bench. But I think that they're going to give him a full shot um, just kind of through his history. I think he – it's not that he deserves it, but he's it's just had a lot of struggles here recently. So I think that's probably like, you know, his little, like, lollipop at the end of, you know, getting all the shots and everything. It's like, well, you've had all this horrible stuff. Here's a lollipop. It's like, well, let's just see if he's good. But – I'll see if I can find that um, article when, when you guys are talking about it and we can let the other people know. But it sounds like he's going to be playing full-time as, and see if he can hit. Yeah, and uh, Jose Miranda is going to lose some time. Uh, he's somewhat splitting time right now with Arias at first. Uh, they're both uh, you know, they're both in the mix for first right now. So uh, in addition to Karoloff, Miranda could also lose some time. Uh, Want to jump to the Cleveland Guardians. I I'm still not used to saying Guardians, by the way. But before we do that, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, this week I'm going to be doing a little bit slightly different trivia type question. We're talking about the Cleveland Guardians, so it's sort of giving away the answer, who we're going to be talking about. But can you name, this is according to Fangraphs, I looked, at, looked this up today, can you name the top five hitters in all of baseball with the highest percentage of batted balls, this is a stat cast, highest percentage of batted balls with an exit velocity of over 95 in all of baseball? Can you name the top four? Jeff, any idea? I was standing. Stanton is not there. It's top four. Okay, sorry. Top f- top, top five of... Was top it max, t- max batted ball? 
are the percentage of batted balls with an exit velocity of over 95. I'm going to go with the other uh, Yankee. I'll go with Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is number two at 59.9%. That means 59% or almost 60% of his batted balls are have an exit velocity of 95 or over. Who else do you think? Jordan? I thought Alonzo was up there. I don't know if he's that high, though. He is not up there. Y- Jordan Alvarez? Jordan Alvarez it is number one at yeah. 61%. Well, since you're saying with the Indians, it must be Josh Naylor. I know he hits the ball hard. No, he's not up there. Okay. Um, can I just throw out Mike Trout? He's having a good year. Mike Trout is number four of players at 54.1. Number three, <laughs> number well, number three is Riley from the Braves. Okay, he's he's at fifty five point nine, and the reason why I bring this up is because one of the players who didn't make the top five, or top four or, or five, only because he didn't have enough at bats is Fran Reyes. Fran Reyes' percentage of batted balls with an exit velocity over ninety five is fifty four point eight percent which means he's hitting the ball hard. So, Jeff, my question to you, if you had Fran Reyes or you are, if you had Fran Reyes, would you trade him? Or if he's available for trade, would you try to get him? Um, I think Reyes is, man, I, I keep bringing this up where it's like, it kind of depends on your need. It's not someone like, I think he's going to regress. I, he's going to hurt your batting average. I just... He hits the ball hard, but he just doesn't make enough contact. I don't believe the 40% strikeout rate's going anywhere. Maybe it's going down to 35. So he's always going to be that drag on your batting average. So, again, maybe he's like the Joey, Gold, uh, Joey Gallo type where it's like, well, I just need to hit a home run on the, you know, on this power move, and that's who I add, and that's who I go get. But, I mean, his OPS this year is barely over 600. I mean, that's replacement level. Like, a lot of guys will get demoted on that so i think he has that great power and that's the team's just going to hope that he can just start making some kind of contact yeah i think the type of contact that he's making hasn't really changed since the first game he's ever played i mean his barrel rate is 16.8 percent which is actually better than his career average he's just hitting the ball hard problem is that the strikeout rate and i used to love fran reyes and i used to think that he could be a Decent batting average guy earlier in his career because that strikeout rate used to be under thirty. His first his first three seasons in the majors, it was under thirty. It was at twenty eight percent. It's crept up. Last year was at thirty two, and it's over forty percent this year. Um, when you're striking out ten fifteen percent more of the time, you're just losing all those hits. So, um, you know, if you need somebody that we're talking is a twenty homer full season type. Uh, and get you 240. That's pretty much what he is. Uh, that's if that fits you, then then it's a buy. Um, I think I trust Fran a lot more than I do Joey Gallo, who looks completely lost. Um, but uh, in ge- I'm not going to say he's a buy. I'm going to say that he's an opportunistic add if needed. And he also has additional value as of this week because he now has played 11 games in the outfield. So if you had him in your utility spot, you can move him to the outfield, and that does increase his fantasy value. Interesting. Um, what do we do with Miles Straw? 
Miles Straw is uh, pretty. Is is he is he worse than Billy Hamilton? He's worse, right? He doesn't steal as uh, many bases. He's uh, essentially uh, well, I'm not gonna say one category because he does have 46 runs so far. So he's a two category guy. He has zero homers. That's a that's a terrible number. 211 batting average. You thought you were getting at least something with him there. 13 RBIs. That is such an awful number. 13 stolen bases as well. So he's a two category player. Um, what do you do with him? I mean, in a 15-team mixed league, I think that Miles Straw is somebody who sits on the bench, and if you have an injury, you put him in, but he's not a starting guy by any means. Any deeper, I think you're playing him. Any shallower, he's off your team. Anything? Do Would you do anything differently than I described, Jeff? No. I. There could be some leagues where you just need the stolen bases, and you're just going to have to hope he starts hitting. I've seen him in 12s get on the waiver wire, and it's like, no, I don't want to deal with it. But there's, like I said, there is that chance that um, he could do that. He could take a step forward. I kind of like Stephen Kwan. He's actually hitting for the average and getting a few more of the stolen bases. So I kind of I kind of like him now. He's not buried at the bottom of the lineup. He's sitting back at the top. Those runs that Straw had or has, that's because when he was leading off for about a month or two when they thought, he could hit that's um that's where he got them i mean now he's just buried at the bottom so th- those won't even be there um but the one thing like i said i'm just surprised his batting average has been so bad um compared to last year um they definitely have just attacked him with fastballs he just there's probably a location thing too that you usually never see any player at 60 percent fastball so if he can't handle a fastball that's going to be a problem excellent analysis there uh move in well, my question is, what what round is he going to be drafted in next year? I, I would just, at this point, any share that I had of him already, I've either dropped or I've traded away. I want nothing to do with him. He is worse than Billy Hamilton, and I, I'm sorry I drafted him where I did this year, but it's done already. It's like last year when everyone drafted Andres Jimenez, everyone was all upset and he was he was dropped by mid by mid season. I, I don't see why this is any different. I mean, this is he's still a young player. He still could get it turned around but the league has figured him out he exactly what jeff said he can't hit a fastball if he can't do that you can't get on base if you can't get on base you can't steal that's the billy hamilton conundrum did didn't we trade him for somebody in one of our home leagues yes we did we traded him for john gray oh we got john gray for <laughs> yes 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 I, I i orchestrated that trade the second i saw i had him and i i realized wait a second he's a real big drain on our on our thing and on our batting average and i said i just went to someone in the league i said hey john gray's coming off of a minor injury you want to trade miles straw he said ah. yes i took it right away i i said i i jumped on that the second i had excellent and you mentioned andres jimenez so i'll go to you first in this ruvain um the uh, Guardians, I keep saying Indians, the Guardians are uh, showcasing two ex-Mets who were traded for Lindor in Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. Uh, looking pretty good this year. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is pretty much doing exactly what he expe- what, what we expected from him. We expected a mid-teens player in terms of rotisserie value, uh, a nice blend of homers and stolen bases. Uh, he's a little bit light on the homers, but he's making up for it. Batting average, batting 285. Andres Jimenez, he's a beast. 299 homers, seven stolen bases so far. It's not that far off from like a 2020 pace. Really valuable. What are your thoughts on them uh, and rest of season? And I don't know, which one do you prefer if you had to make a choice? 
Well, I would prefer Jimenez. That's, that's not even a question at this point. He's an all-star, and it's crazy because the Mets traded Jimenez to, and, and, and Rosario to help get Francisco Lindor, who is actually having has more RBIs, more home runs, but didn't make the all-star team because Jimenez is better I, I i don't i'm not 100 certain about that i think that just i think it's just the way he's been playing and i think jimenez deserved what he what he's doing um he this is what he showed back in 2019 he had a little less power then a little more stolen bases but you're getting what you paid for him at the beginning of last year because that's what everyone wanted last year was the andres jimenez of 2019 no one got him so that's why he went undrafted or went very 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 late in a lot of drafts because no one thought he was going to find it again and as for ahmed rosario he is the same player he always is he's not going to be a superstar but he's playable he can play uh, i mean he can play shortstop he can play outfield i mean if you really have to i mean it's but i mean i i think for rosario you you're getting what you see you're seeing what you get both of the same i think he's going to be solid you don't have to worry about him i'm just worried about jimenez second half of the year because he did it for half a year with the mets basically in 2019 he did it for you know maybe maybe three quarters of the season then he just completely fell off and he was sent to the minors maybe he figured something out in the minors that's possible and this year is just his back the breakout season but what do you do with him next year jeff do you think jimenez is going to be back and drafted where he was a couple of years ago? Um, I don't think so. And here's the reason why. I He's a great player. He reminds me 100% of Gene Segura, like almost the same profile. Nothing sticks out. So when you're in the draft, you have to have like this balanced team. And it's teams are always like, oh, I need speed here. So they're going to go for the guy with the more steals. Um, and so forth. Like I said, I, I, I had Chin Segura valued three rounds before he went this last year. Um, it, it's just because, like, one batting average always gets deflated. Like, people just don't won't pay up for it because it's so variable. But it's like he doesn't do any one thing great. Um, I think he's fine. He's 23 years old. I mean, there's rookies coming in, you know, that are older than him. Adley Rushman's older than he is. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like Jimenez has just been around for three years before now. So he's just, you know, kind of getting into his own. So I think, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be, he'll probably be like in a 15 teamer, but we'll see how many steals and how everything goes between like the eighth and maybe like 15th round. But like I said, I was trying to think where Segura was going. That was probably like the 13th round. Maybe there'll be a little bit more excitement over a 23-year-old, but that's where I would kind of see him in as going next year. Yeah, I think a lot will happen. Will uh, it will be determined based on what happens the next half of the season? But I think your general rounds for next year are right, and whether he's a bargain or not uh, for the next year's drafts will be determined on how he finishes this year. Uh, but those are—I mean, anytime you you put up something in every single category. You, you're stable. Uh, there's there's less downside. I love these types of players that just show 15-15, decent average. Fine, you get something. The the probability of them going to zero is is low. Uh, let's move on to the White Sox. And want to get your take, not exactly a fantasy uh, question, but uh, t- Tony La Russa. Um, what are your thoughts on Tony La Russa, Jeff? Do you think that uh, he's holding the White Sox back? What is his deal with analytics? Does he just not know how to use them correctly, or does he purposely not use them? Like, what's what is going on with Larusa? Because I, I I watched that that clip of uh, a couple weeks back where it's Trey Turner zero and two. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he's better at zero and two. 
Better walk him now. What? Uh, 0 and 2 is not, he's not better than 0 and 0. Uh, it just uh, it just baffles the mind that he can say this stuff and with a straight face. Uh, well, what's your take on the guy? I think he feels like he has to do something. Like he just can't let the team go out there and play. So I think that's where he runs into a problem. It's like he just has to insert himself into the game instead of just being like, you guys are really good players. Go out there and play. I think Dusty Baker does a great job of that. Like he just doesn't do anything. He's like, yeah, I've got a good team. I I don't know if he has to babysit them. You know, if they get in fights or whatever, maybe that's his job. But it's like, I think with the White Sox, you just put your best players out there, whatever he has right now. I mean, he has, there's some issues with the whole team. It's got like 18 DHs on it. But besides that, I mean, it's just like put out your best players and do that. But I think he just has to, like, feels he has to get involved, makes his impact in the game, and that's just, it hurts the White Sox, but it's just really entertaining. It, he, he's, he's great to have in the league. It's good to have someone to make fun of, and it's just, <laughs> it, it's, it's great to have him around. It's like the other day where it was like, yeah, one strike, and then he ended up walking. I was like, Please, I mean, what what are you doing? But it he's he is entertaining. Yeah, I I just I just don't understand that. And and I, you know, it's one thing if you want to say you know, fine, I'm gonna walk the guy. But, but don't tell me analytically the guy is more prone to getting a hit with more strikes on him than not. It just I, I mean, it just it, it, what's the word here? It, it's it's embarrassing. It's uh, you he, know he doesn't well he doesn't under I don't think understands the analytics because I think he's he's trying to put a 1980s 19 1990s spin on baseball now when baseball's already moved to the analytic portion and I think just he's he's trying to I guess cement himself in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame already. He has nothing left to prove. If you would just sit back there and just let the team play, that White Sox team on paper before the season started is very talented. If you put a manager in there that that fiddles with it and does what does against what they were doing last year and 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 what people thought they were what they would do, that's the only way they wouldn't survive. And and I think that's what he's doing. I think he's not that he's trying to lose on purpose. I think he just doesn't understand how where baseball is analytically, and I don't think he understands how to use those numbers properly. On to a fantasy question. Jeff, what is currently wrong with Lance Lynn, and will he correct himself? Is this just bad luck, or is there something wrong? Yeah, this is... um. So when runners are in base, it's something ridiculous. He has a 529 Babbitt that will regress at some point. It might not be this year, but that's where like his... The, that high ERA is coming from. The other thing, though, he has lost some velocity, so he's not going to have the strikeouts he previously had. Like, that you have to live with. But I think that there'll be some correction on, like, maybe he's going to be an 8.5 strikeout per nine guy instead of around 10. That's a hurt. That's what happens. You don't know when the pitcher is going to lose their velocity, but that BABIP with runners on, that'll normalize. It's At some point, it's... Like I said, it just has to, it'll come down. So um, if he, it's, it's, like I said, that high ERA is not going to be there, but he is a worse pitcher because of the velocity. Yeah. 53% strand uh, left on base percentage. Uh, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty unlucky, I guess. Uh, maybe there's something in the windup with, with, with how he's uh, from the stretch. I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think he's really roughly the same player. Strikeout rate is down. The ground ball rate looks in line with his career, and actually the walks are down. 
Uh, it's interesting. So he's not he's not putting on more runners on freely. They're just sneaking hit. And 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 one thing I noticed, he's using a cutter this year. He never had a cutter before. He's using a cutter twenty percent of the time. That's a pitch he's never used before. His slider rate. His slider rate for this year is 6%. Last year, it was 30%. So I, I don't know exactly what what the... And it's again, this may have to do with the White Sox analytics. They told him maybe to stop using your slider and to start using a cutter. I, I mean, I think that's the only thing that's that's different because I mean the velocity is down almost two miles an hour across almost across the board. But to to re, to introduce a new pitch to a pitcher who's been pitching for in the majors for 12 years, I again I think this is the White Sox and their analytics that are probably just tinkering a little too much. Does Tony LaRusso have anything to say about this? Also, I have no idea, but it's just interesting when I opened up his page and I saw he's never thrown a cutter and now he's throwing a twenty percent of the time. Maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, chances are he won't get back to what he was last year. Uh, and it's certainly with the strikeout rate, he's not going to. Um, how about Eloy Jimenez? Uh, been injured. Is this guy just injury prone? Is he just going to run into a wall? Uh, this guy is young, so he can turn it around, and you really can't draw any conclusions from what he's done this so far this year, which hasn't been much. But uh, do you think Eli Jimenez has a big second half in him, Jeff? No, I think he got hurt again the other day. Oh, did no. he? It's, yeah, he did. He he did. Yeah, <laughs> that team has just so many DHs. They have to. I think they have to just like go find some other ones, even if they get nothing for them. Like Sheets has to go. Jimenez. He needs to do something like Jordan Alvarez, where it's like half the time, like get him off the field. Maybe um. Like I said, they kind of worked him. I think that's one thing where it's just like find someone with a high ground ball rate where he doesn't have to make a ton of, you know, pop-ups, catches in the outfield. But you can't have four or five DHs on a team and expect some of them not to get hurt that aren't supposed to be or have play some kind of defense. So I'm... I'd stayed away from him. I was kind of didn't know how the situation was going to work out. I didn't know what his health was. I was kind of lucky. I've had some other ones, but it's just like every time I see him on there, it's like, what am I actually getting? And hopefully by now I've had someone better than him that can play. Final team, the Tigers. Uh, let's talk about Akil Badu. He was very popular pick in draft season, went to the minors. Do you think that he's worth rostering in fantasy and uh, going forward? And if so, what what type of format, what kind of depth? Is he your fifth outfielder in a 15-team league? What are your thoughts on uh, Akil Badu, Jeff? Yeah, since he's gotten promoted, I was looking to see how much he's actually started. It's um, two starts. Not bad. So, yeah. Um, I think in every format, some team should take a chance on him. Every roto format, some team needs to take a chance on him if he's going to come out and steal. But... He started against a lefty and a righty so far. I don't know what he's doing tonight. Um, but no, I think um, he was hitting good in the minors. I know that he had hit some home runs off lefties. That was kind of his um, Achilles. So he's one of those ones like we kind of, it's kind of like the John Birdie, like you're going to have to buy him now because if he goes off for a week, it's just the price is going to be ridiculous or you've missed him. So if you need steals, um, it's probably half the teams in the league, you know, really probably need to push on that. 
I think that he has to be rostered in those formats if he continues to play. And he started batting ninth uh, today against the righty. Ruvain, your thoughts? Yeah, he went 0 for 3, and I think his only value would be in stolen bases. So he's a guy that if you need stolen bases, you can pick up and play only if you need stolen bases and when you need it. When he was in the minors, he actually did pretty decently. He batted 300, hit three homers, and seven stolen bases in AAA this year. So it shows that he still has it in him. It may not be to the same level he had a couple years ago, but I think that if you have him on your bench, you'll end up playing him at some point, and Listen, he'd be batted ninth tonight. If he's going to bat ninth, his value for stolen bases is very low. So, you know, if he earns playing time and is able to turn it around when he's in the majors now, then he's definitely worth just rostering. And if you have, uh, if you need it as an extra outfielder on your bench, there's no reason putting a couple dollar bid on him just to have on your roster just in case. This is exactly what I talked about earlier. If the kind of player that if you're down in standings points, he could provide a spark. That is the kind of guy that you want to take a chance on. If you're in first place, I don't think you need to have him. There are probably other guys who have more expected production that you can count on more rather than him. Having another guy uh, who's been actually very disappointing this year, uh, Jamer Candelario. Uh, batting 193 with just six homers. I mean, before the season started, ATC projected him almost 20 homers. Uh, now he's lucky if he has a full season number of 12 homers, uh, and he's batting terribly. Uh, is he going to turn it around in the second half, Candelario? Uh, in my opinion, no. I, he may, but I don't think he's healthy. I think that shoulder bugged him, and that's why he went on the IL, and I just still think it's bugging him. I Until he puts together two or three weeks of production. Like I said, it's not one game isn't going to make the difference for me. Um, I'm just going to hopefully stay away and try to find a better third baseman. Um, so, no, he's a hard pass for me right now until he, until I think he's healthy. Or, like I said, he puts together a long streak of production, which he hasn't done all year. Yeah, I've dropped him everywhere. Ruvain? Yeah, I, I totally agree also. He actually increased his lunge angle by two degrees this year, but his home run to fly by rate is down. Um, he had the left shoulder subluxation, and I don't think his power will come back this year. So I, I really don't see much value with him for the rest of the year. And does that mean that he's undervalued going into next year? Because obviously his numbers are going to be deflated here. Uh, if he does get healthy next year, it could be a good buy. Jeff, do you think he's uh, going to be undervalued next year? Um, We'll see. I'll have to see if... He even gets healthy next year. Like he may right. messed up his swing trying to deal with this. That um, there's some thing, some work I've done that shows that, that might happen. I'm kind of hoping he gets like healthy for like three weeks right at the end and no one notices. Like, like the power. Like he sets his new his adds three miles an hour to like his uh, max exit velocity right there at the end and kind of pulls it together and we kind of see that he's hitting good. So um, we'll have no idea next year, but. Like I said, I'd like to see him try to get healthy this year and then just kind of know that going into next year. And, like, all the projections won't know it, that he was playing hurt, and they'll be all under – under. just his numbers will be low because of it. And his, inju his injury is a shoulder subluxation, which may lead to a rotator cuff tear, and he may end up needing surgery at the end of the season. So that's something to watch out for. Also, if he needs surgery, then his value is almost, almost nil going into next season, I would say. No, I, I like what you said, Jeff, uh, before. No one, I hope that nobody notices. The key to being a good fantasy player is f watching and monitoring people, and nobody else notices, and that's how you get your advantages. Uh, wrapping up the AL Central, um, some predictions. Uh, 
Do you think that the White Sox are going to make the playoffs, Jeff, or are they going to just tank? Right now, Fangraphs has them at 47% to make the playoffs, winning their division at a 35%. You think that they, uh, you think that they collapse, or you think that they hold true and maybe get a wild card? I don't. I think they'll. I don't think they'll collapse. I think it'll just. They're just not going to be good enough. I kind of have a feeling like the Twins will make a move. I think that that'll be kind of be the the key is if one of the teams actually goes out and improves their team at the trade deadline, or if they just kind of like go and trade for some like fourth reliever, then I wouldn't be interested. But I think um, the Twins always seem to like go out and make a move, and I think that they could. I think if like Sano's hitting, they they could go get a pretty decent piece if they move Kirloff. I don't know. I mean, that's not something they would do, but. Like I said, they have. I think they have some nice pieces that people could use, and they kind of have a surplus where a lot of guys are sitting right now that they could kind of clear up their bench if they uh, moved it. I think they showed in the offseason that they really invested. I mean, they signed Correa. They, I, I think that they're invested. So I, I, out of all the teams, I think that they're going to potentially make the biggest splash in this division in the, in the uh, trade deadline, by the trade, by the trade deadline, I should say. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ruben, about the division? Yeah, I, I, there's so many other teams that are better in the American League right now than the White Sox that I don't think that the way they're constructed right now that they're going to make the playoffs. I, I just don't. I, I think I still the Mariners are, in a, are, are hot right now, and I think they're going to finish with a better record than them. I think there are t- there are a couple teams in the AL East. The AL East is very deep. Every team, as, as of this taping, every team in the AL East is over 500 every team and that's better than the white Sox. that means that means the white Sox have all those teams to jump to get to the wild card and we, we talked about trying to jump in in your own division in, in your fantasy league it's just as hard to jump in your fantasy league if not harder in the major leagues they have to have a groundbreaking trade they need to get a make a huge splash i think in the trade deadline in order to make the playoffs yeah orioles are the hottest team in baseball it's crazy uh i still think they're going to be uh sellers at the end and I, I think they're gonna trade Mancini, and and I'm gonna predict he's gonna go to the Mets. I'm gonna uh, this is this will be one of those uh, bold predictions, uh, Mancini to the Mets. All right, uh, waiver wire. Let's do a quick one now. There's uh, really no pitcher preview this week because uh, it's going to the All Star break. Teams are resetting their rotations, um, so you're gonna get the top ones there. You're also only gonna get three days, so there's no two star pitchers or anything. So uh, let's just do all waiver wire pitchers all together. Jeff, who is a player or players that you are interested in picking up from your waiver wire this week? Um, oh, the easy one. Everyone's got a – we're talking about stolen bases is Estuary Ruiz. Um, he, I don't know what he stole. It's something like 530 stolen bases in the minors this year so far. Something nuts. Um, so – it was like last night everyone was mad that he hit a triple because he couldn't get any more steals. I think he did get a steal tonight. Um, if you need stolen bases, he's got a little bit of power. He's definitely got the speed to get on. Um, as long as he's playing, that's kind of an issue possibly with the Padres is with several players coming back. The speed's there, but I don't know if he's going to be better than some, I mean, definitely not Tatis coming back. Um, I don't, Will Myers is sort of close. I don't know if what they'll do there. So kind of watch the playing time, but. I think you have to add him, and I think he could give you some nice, probably even possibly better than what John Birdie did over the last month or so. 
Ruiz has 60 stolen bases in the minors so far. 60. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I knew it was something just ridiculous. And it's like between two levels, it was crazy. Uh, he's batted well over 300 also. He's, he's having a fantastic year. And he went from double-A, triple-A, and right to the majors now. He actually has attempted one base so far, and it, he was caught. Uh, but, yeah, you'll, he'll be the guy who gets on and steals. It's an excellent pick. Anything else, Jeff? Um, another one um, is Adrian Sampson for the Cubs. He's done really good over, like, the last month or so. He's kind of been off everyone's radar. And um, just if you need someone at the end of the bench, the Central's not um, – NL Central, like, you can find some teams to possibly stream against him. I, he might even be in 15s where you keep him on the end of your bench. But he had a good start this week. Um, he's got about 9K per 9. I think his walk rate's between 2 and 3. It's not outstanding, but there's a lot worse pitchers out there right now. And I think um, he's shown long enough that I kind of believe in what he's doing. Yeah, Cubs are playing well, uh, better over the past uh, couple of uh, weeks here. Uh, Ruben, how about you, uh, a player that you'd like to pick up this week? Okay, I'm going to go from shallower, shallower leagues to deeper leagues. I'm going to start with Yandy Diaz. Over the last three weeks, with 66 at-bats, he's batted 424. No power, but 9 RBIs and 11 doubles. So he does have that doubles power, which means maybe that other power will come. He's only 36% owned in CBS, so if it's a little shower, shallower league, you can get him. Um, another guy, Carson Kelly, he's 19% owned in CBS. It seems like he's healthy, quote-unquote healthy. In the last week, he's batted 412 with a home run. So if you need a catcher and he's available, a two-catcher two league, and he's available, I think you should grab him. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned Gavin Sheets. If Elo Jimenez is, is injured, Gavin Sheets may get more playing time. He's batting 294 um, with two home runs. Um, he, he's only 9% owned in CBS, but he has but he's first base and outfield eligible. And I have to mention this pitcher because I spoke to Ian Khan today, and he said he, he approves this pick, and he actually has him on one of, his, one of his teams. And, Ariel, I mentioned him to you last week, and that's Spencer Watkins. Who? Spencer Watkins of the Orioles, of the aforementioned Orioles, who are really hot. His last four starts, 22 and two-thirds innings, three earned runs, 17 strikeouts, five walks. And if you look at his numbers, they're not that great overall. I mean, they're okay, but he had one start where he gave up seven earned runs to the Cardinals. If you took that start out, he has a total of 12 starts. That was the only start he gave up more than three earned runs during and it during the course of this season so he's only five percent owned in cbs i think if you're looking for the waiver wire you want a safe guy he's perfectly good to have however ian khan did tell me and i didn't and i did see this and i and i saw it he said that all of his starts have been against subpar teams so in the coming week right after the all-star break they're, break they're playing the yankees they're playing the rays if he's pitching against the yankees he's not necessarily a pickup but if he's going to play against the rays that's not such a bad pickup to make Oriole Park is now a uh, pitcher-friendly park also. So uh, that note, a lot of people still have the notion of uh, Oriole Park being a uh, hitter's park. It's not the case anymore. Uh, I'll just throw out two guys uh, less shallow uh, in, sorry, shallower leagues, less deep. Uh, Nolan Jones, uh, now 45% owned. His uh, ownership percentage is shooting up. Seven for 20 so far. A homer, eight RBI. What the heck? Uh, Give him a shot. And uh, I'm going to go back to a guy that I used to love, Aaron Hicks, 30% owned. He's starting to hit now. Uh, looking healthy. Yankees score runs. Now he's batting. He's not batting ninth. He's batting sixth most days, sometimes seventh. 
but I, I kind of like him. I think that he can get hot and really help the Yankees. Uh, anybody in the Yankees is going to score a lot of runs. So ch- take a look at Aaron Hicks. You can do a lot worse. Anything else, guys? No. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, up to our injury update. Ruvain, uh, give us uh, this week's injuries going into the All-Star break. Alrighty. Well, first of all, I had a couple questions from some re- from listeners. Uh, Kiowa, RT, Michael Smith, and some others asked about Walker Buehler, what we should do with him. Walker Buehler had a bone spur removed from his right elbow. Um, they, it won't affect his recovery time from a flexor strain. He's still shut down from throwing from six to eight weeks after the diagnosis of the flexor strain. People are wondering whether we should hold on to him, whether we should drop him or anything like that. You may get a month out of him, you may get only like three, four weeks out of him. Is he worth holding on to? I don't know because I don't know if he's going to be stretched out to be a starter. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily in deeper leagues. I probably would, if I have room, I'd hold on to him. But then I, if I need the space, I wouldn't have an issue dropping him. William Blantz asked about. Um, Miguel Sano, who we spoke about, and about Austin Meadows. Austin Meadows is on the IL due to bilateral Achilles tendon strains. Yeah, it's bilateral, it means both legs. He was unex- he was expected to be pulled off his rehab assignment, but he got more soreness this past week because he was on a rehab assignment. He was initially on the IL for COVID, but then he shifted to the Ach- because of the Achilles issue. I'm not sure. I'm. Mean, it's possible that COVID had something to do with the strain. I'm not saying that it's 100% true because I've I've seen patients and they've had worse muscle aches and muscle pains after they've had COVID. So it is possible it's from that, but it's a little odd that it's bilateral and it's happening to both of his Achilles. It's a little bit odd. Jeff Thompson asked about Mitch Garver. He had surgery. Um, he had surgery for his uh, flexor tendon in his right arm. He actually asked, could he have waited until the offseason for surgery? Yes, he could have waited to the offseason to do surgery, but it's a matter of pain tolerance, I believe. Same with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper has the same issue. He's able to tolerate the pain, and he keeps playing through it, and that's fine. But if he's a catcher and he's had this issue with his elbow he and his, and his forearm, if he just can't tolerate it, then he's just not going to be able to play through it, and that's why he had the surgery. Vamos Rojas asked about Wander Franco, who had surgery for his fractured hamate. He wanted to know what the story is with him. He had surgery for to repair a fractured hamate in, in, his, in his wrist. He's expected to require five to eight weeks of recovery time. That's great. However, pa- uh, people, I'll say patients, but players who had this type of surgery usually lose a lot of power after this just because they don't build up the full strength in the wrist right away. Now, Ronda Franco is built differently than other people, so he may not lose that much power, but I still think he will lose power. Jeff, you mentioned about Mitch Hanniger. Russell Koch asked about Mitch Hanniger. Hanniger's on the IL, recovering from an ankle sprain. GM Jerry DePoto said this week that he hopes Hanniger will be back in the lineup by the end of July, so probably right after the All-Star break. He has not progressed 100% to full speed, but he is hoping to get a rehab assignment very soon, and hopefully right after the All-Star break. We mentioned about Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez, he's on the right... He's on the aisle right now with a right hand inflammation. He had this also issue in mid-June. Um, he returned to the lineup a little bit, probably too soon, although it didn't seem to affect him. He can come back right after the All-Star break, so they probably did that on purpose just so he get an extra couple of days rest just so he can do that, so he can return without the problem. Freddy Peralta, a pitcher who's been off of people's radars for a while. He's on the IL with a shoulder lat injury. He threw a bullpen session this past week. He felt good after the workout. He'll probably need at least one more bullpen session before he gets to the live batting 
practice and rehab assignment, but he's trending to a mid-August return. So if you're holding on to him, I guess you'll hold on to him for a little bit longer. Today, Shane Boz and Luis Severino were both placed on the IL. Boz with a right elbow strain. He experienced discomfort while playing catch this past week. He will receive a PRP injection, and he's supposed to rest for one month. That means no pitching, a four-week shutdown, and then be reevaluated. He's a pitcher. You haven't got much out of him so far this year because he's on the IL earlier this year. Um, he's a guy that you may be able to drop because this is something that may not go away. So if you want a roster spot, he may be, able to, he may be droppable. As for Luis Severino... He has a low-grade lat strain that he got, and he had a um, shoulder tightness. He had an MRI, and that's what showed up. Showed up. It's only a low-grade strain, but he did miss most of 2019 with a similar strain. So it's very possible that this can linger. A guy who should you who should be on your radar is Domingo Herman. He is rehabbing and could be activated after the All-Star break to take Severino's spot in the Yankees rotation. All right, a lot of injuries there. Um... Well, this is the end of our show. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show as well. And wanted to thank uh, Jeff Zimmerman for coming on the show. Jeff is, again, one of the best fantasy baseball players out there, uh, really. I mean, uh, if you're in a league with him, you're probably better off, instead of playing your own team, figuring out ways how to sabotage his laptop so that he can't manage his. And that's probably your best way of winning uh, if you're playing against Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, Jeff, can you tell us... Uh, What's going on with you, uh, where where we can read your stuff, listen to you, all things Jeff Zimmerman? Yeah, as of right now, I'm just writing at Fangraphs and Rotowire. Um, and um, we're trying to get the Launch Angle podcast back up and going. It's kind of out, out of commission because of conflicting schedules and um, just various other reasons. So, yeah, that's just it right now. Um, I... I'll hang out on Twitter sometimes at Jeff W. Zimmerman and um, mainly just putting out my um, fab article every Sunday at Rotowire. I mean, at Rotographs is probably my big um, endeavor every week. Yeah, it's an excellent article. It should be on your must-read list before you finalize your waiver wire picks. Uh, um, and you've been carrying on the, the Mining the News uh, um, series as well. Mining the News, of course, an award-winning series by Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, that's also going on, right? Sometimes. it's um, During the season, it's, it's the news just moves so fast that it's really tough to, like, what you write one day isn't available the next. So whenever I do it, it's kind of like I go in and, has to all kind of get done during the off season. It's, everything's just so slow. I think it's actually kind of a good time to do it where you can, um, like whatever you do doesn't just change by the next day. That's fantastic stuff. Ruben, what about you? Tell us about your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates, next player up. I also have a weekly article on Rotoballer discussing all the injuries I mentioned in this podcast, as well as many others. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can read my work over at Rotographs and at Rotoballer. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, the shortest Twitter handle in all of fantasy baseball. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right, once again, thank you so much, Jeff Zimmerman, for coming on the show this week. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.